0: Exodus chapter 18, we've entitled the message, Servants Needed. Servants Needed. Just let's unite our hearts together in a short word of prayer, please. Our God and our Father, we recognize our power is faint and low at times. And we need, Lord, surrender our all to Thee. Force us to render up our sword, O God. Help us to be that captive even unto Thee, our God. We praise Thee for the words of the hymn we've been singing. We pray, Lord, that Thou would bring us into this passage just now, give us understanding again. Lord, Thou has been instructing us over this last number of weeks on this very thought. And We pray, Lord, again for the teachable spirit to be given. And I pray that Thou would fill us with Thy Spirit now with Power to preach us thus, and thus saith the Lord. Give us those prevailing words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's normal in view of pending elections for the church that we would go to the New Testament Scriptures, to those passages that detail for us the requirements that the Holy Ghost has laid down. And men and women, we have done that already. And we'll do that, of course, maybe also Thursday night coming. But it is my contention that we can do the same by looking at some Old Testament passages. And one of which is that which is before us today in the time of Moses and the children of Israel when they were making their way onto the promised land. The Lord had done many wonderful things for them, not least he had delivered them from Egypt and from their bondage under Pharaoh. And it was by a strong and a powerful hand. And that powerful hand that was for Israel was a powerful hand that was against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians. And such was the deliverance that the Lord had wrought that it was the topic of conversation between Moses and his father-in-law when he came to visit It caused a gladness of heart. You look at the words of verse 9 and 10. Jethro, rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He's a man who exalts the Lord. And you'll notice, of course, also that it's Jethro who initiates the sacrifice unto God in the words of verse 12. This was a time of praise. This was cause for praise, and it was cause for worship. And there's a fellowshipping one with another, and there's a fellowshipping with the Lord. But you know, the visit of Moses' father-in-law was not just something of a social benefit. It was to have a lasting effect. For what the following verses detail is applicable for us as a congregation at this particular time, as they speak of those who were set apart for the work of the Lord. What we see in Exodus 18 at the start of their journeyings through the wilderness uh, to the promised land is the same as what we read of in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The only difference being, Deuteronomy chapter 1 is when Moses rehearses of the many things that were done for them. And he does it from the standpoint of 40 years later. And they're on the verge of crossing over the River Jordan and on the verge of entering into that land of Canaan. And one of those things that is in remembrance of Deuteronomy 1 is the additional help that was sought for as we find it even in these verses. There already was the structure in place concerning the governance of the people of Israel. Elders already had been appointed. The position of elders that God has given to His church is not just something from the New Testament, but rather the same precept is found here as well in the Old Testament times of the nation of Israel. And as we look at these verses this morning, or at least some of them, I want you to consider just the servants that were needed. I want you to note, first of all, the care. Because it's during this day of Jethro, who we're also told was a priest of Midian. And so in whatever capacity in which he served, whether it was in a civil or whether it was in a religious context, here's a man who at least had some experience of what it was to rule over a people in Midian. But while he visited Moses, he was to see with his own eyes something that troubled them. And that, in effect, was the care or the burden that Moses was carrying. You get a sense of that when you come to verse 14. For it says, And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? From morning until night, Moses would be found instructing the people on the law and on the precepts of the word of God. There would be the people bringing their matters before him. Some of those matters would be large, some of them would be small, but Moses was found to judge those matters, or on those matters, according to the word of the Lord. And Jethro was a man who recognized the care that Moses had to bear at that time. Look at verse 17, where it says, Moses' father and I said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. As a spiritual leader, he carried a great burden. The people would come continuously. They would wait in line, I suppose, all the day in order that he would make a ruling or a judgment on their particular case. The matters in which he judged could be small or great. And in Moses, on many occasions, we can view, and I believe we've seen it already in our study in the book of Exodus, we can view a wonderful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, of course, is known as an intercessor. Moses stood in between a holy God and a sinful and a sinning people. But even here in this instance, we see again and Moses a type of Christ, but this time as judge. Because he judges the people who come before him. And of course, we know, men and women, reading the Scriptures, that the Father has committed all judgment unto his Son. And one day he shall sit to judge all the earth. And shall not the judge of all the earth do right? But as Jethro looked on Moses, he recognized one who was weighed down. He's weighed down with the care of the people. And there was need for more servants to help. And dear people, when we consider the committee election for the church oversight, that is, in essence, is what we're looking at. Those who are needed to be servants in the work of the Lord. We can put our names, we can put our titles on those things, and rightly so when we come to the New Testament Scriptures, but in effect, we are servants of our great Lord and Savior and King. And conversely, as you see God in prayer on the matter, those who would fit the position are those who have a care and those who have a burden for the work of the Lord and for the people of God. For having a care and having a burden is having the mind and having the heart of Christ. You think of that well-known passage, you may turn to it, in Luke chapter 10. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, and particularly the words of verse 34. It says here, and it's speaking about the Good Samaritan, where he came to where that man was, and he had compassion on him, went to him, verse 34, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He cared for the man that was nearly dead by the wayside. The thieves and robbers had come upon him and he was left for dead. And while others passed by, the Levite, the priest, the good Samaritan, who had no dealings, of course, with the Jews and vice versa, he came to where he was, the very place where he was, and he poured in the oil and the wine, and he made provision for him, put him on his beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And notice that that care was not only for the current, for the present day, but as for the days in the future as well. And that effectively is Christ. Christ is the good Samaritan. You read that the next time you read the parable right through, just substitute the good Samaritan for the Savior, because he is a care for his people. And every eligible servant for this office ought to have a burden for the lost souls of men and women. And that may in practice manifest itself in various ways. A man who cares and has a burden will be a man of prayer. He'll be a man of prayer. He may be found to evangelize on a one-to-one basis. He will have an interest in seeing the Word of God being spread abroad for the salvation of souls, whether it's in tract form, whether it's in the open air, whether it's through the media outlets, or whatever other means. But he'll have a care and a burden. But Jethro, there was the reality of the care and this burden. And it was obvious to him that the burden that uh, Moses was under was very real. He states in verse 18, I want you to see it. This thing is too heavy for thee. And the sense of the word heavy is that it was burdensome. It's translated in other scriptures as great. It's too great for you, Moses. And when we come into the New Testament... And, of course, the same thought is found with regard to the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 11, in the words of verse 28, we read these uh, words. It simply says this, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth there, has been speaking about the outside reproaches the afflictions that he'd had and imprisonments and so forth, you can read it in the previous verses. That happened, Those things happened unto him during his ministry. But he now speaks of the cares and the burdens that he had of all the churches. And because the cares and the burdens are great and they're very real, then Jethro has a real concern about the danger that Moses was facing, Verse 18. He says, I will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. The danger was he would wear himself out. And he'd wear the people out. And I think it's most interesting to note, and I want you I want you to underline this. You can write it in if you have a margin in your Bible. But the root word of that phrase, wear away, is to be foolish. Not interesting. The word actually is Nabal. Do you remember Abigail's husband? He was called Nabal, a fool. That's the same word. The thing that Moses did wasn't good. That's what Jethro said to him. He was acting foolishly, for he was in real danger of wearing himself down and wearing the people down with him. And that leads us to consider the requirement of this care. What Moses needed was more help. For note how in these verses there is the repetition of a thought that is carried, that he carried this care alone. Look at verse 14. Uh, It says, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thyself alone? Verse 18. I will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee, for thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Others were required to bear the burden with them. Verse 22 at the end, So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And dear people, it is good to remember that the Lord doesn't mean us to carry the cares and the burdens of life alone. There's a lot of talk today about the mental pressure and the mental voids that are in our society. There's not the finances, there's not the support given to those who are troubled with mental problems. Men and women I want you to I want you to understand the young people God doesn't mean us to carry these things alone. It's good to share them. Talk about them. To your nearest to that one confident that you can uh, talk to and you'll know of an absolute assurance that it'll not go any further. God doesn't mean us to carry life burdens alone. And if we think that we can't be done without or that we must do everything ourselves and pride prevents us from seeking the help of others, you know, we're just plain foolish. That's what that word's teaching us. To the husband, God has given a helpmate to carry the burden. To the church, it has been given bishops and deacons to carry the burden. And we're at the point of seeking the help of those servants for the labors of the Lord again. Carrying the burden. Don't you think that the minister carries all the burden? He doesn't. He shares it. Or at least he should. He shares it with the elders and with the deacon. What about the counsel here? in light of what Jethro had witnessed, He offers some counsel. And you know what you can do with counsel is this? You can either receive it or reject it. I often say to those uh, approaching marriage, approaching their wedding day, you'll get many much advice. you'll get advice from this family and you'll get advice from the other family. And you know it's all good, but at the end of the day, it's your day, it's your wedding day. And that's the same story in life, men and women. You will receive many a counselor and many a counsel, but you either accept or you don't it, or you don't. And the counsel offered by the priest of Midian here was in the form of a proposal in verse 19. He says, hearken now unto my voice, Moses, it's time you listened. Listen to me, what I'm going to tell you, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thy for the people to God, word that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. It was already implied in what he had spoken, of course, i.e., that they should have additional servants to help them. It didn't mean that he was to abrogate his own responsibilities. Indeed, Jethro makes it clear he was to continue to bring the causes of the Lord. He was to continue to teach them. He was to continue to show them the way in which they were to walk. But verse 21, he was to have able men to help him to shoulder of the burden. And if the proposal was accepted, then he was assured that it would be for the benefit of both Moses personally, as well as the people collectively. You look at verse 23. If thou shall do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all those people shall also go to their place in peace. This proposal was from Jethro. For other laborers to join with Moses in the great work that was at hand. And wasn't that also the thrust of what the Savior taught in the presence of his disciples? They were to do a great work. They were to go forth and spread in the gospel. But the Savior says in Matthew chapter 9, in the words of verse 38, he was to encourage them to make it their prayer that the Lord of the harvest would uh, thrust forth, send forth, the sense laborers into the harvest. were to do it alone. Other laborers were needed, and those other laborers are yet required and needed for the great harvest fields of the world. And men and women, that's why we need to have the missionary uh, zeal about us as a congregation and, and prayer as well, that the lost sheep will be found, that the lost sheep out there that have no shepherd for their souls. The Lord might thrust forth all our laborers. This council You'll also note how to procedure to it. I want you to turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 1 that I've already referenced. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 40 years later, Moses is remembering these things. He's now looking back on this very occasion. You see the response that Moses was to give to the proposal of Jethro. Verse 9, And I spake unto you at that time, saying, And now he's standing before the great nation, and he's rehearsing what was done, and he 's rehearsing back here in Exodus chapter eighteen. I spake unto you that time, saying i 'm not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are, and bless you as He hath promised you." How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes and I will make them rulers over you. And ye answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. He had heard the proposed action that was needed from Jethro. He took that counsel. And what Moses does, he brings it to the people, believing that it is of God, as we shall see. And they considered it to be a wise thing, verse 14. They considered it to be of the Lord. And you know, men and women, when I read that, and I've encouraged you to read it with me this morning, I can't but help but think, there is Presbyterian government Illustrated to us in the Old Testament. There's Presbyterian government in action. What are the elders? Or for our case this week, what are the committee? But those whom God chooses to represent the people in the congregation, and God's people are led to choose them. That's what Presbyterianism is. It's putting into practice the will of God for his church, as is seen in the New Testament scriptures. And from the book of Acts through the epistles, it's obvious that God, who's purchased his church, has also ordained the means whereby it should be governed. And that leads me to show you the plan and the purpose of God where this passage in Exodus 18 is concerned. It's Jethro who proposes to Moses what should be done, but he does so with the assurance that it would have the blessing of God resting upon it. You look at verse 19, and it says, God shall be with thee. Verse 23, and God command thee so. Jethro believed that Moses had a better counselor than himself. It was the Lord and he should do not according to what common sense or human wisdom dictated, but he should do according to what the Lord commanded. After all, this was the God of whom they had exalted in their previous conversation when they considered the great deliverance that he had wrought for the children of Israel, when he had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And as it was his purpose to do so, so it was his purpose that Moses should not be burdened alone that he should have other servants chosen to help him, chosen to share the burden of the people. There's only one who could carry the burden alone. That's God's perfect servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it was the eternal plan and purpose of the Godhead that Christ should come to this earth so that one day he would bear the burden of sin upon his own body on the tree. Only him. It's something that he alludes to when he illustrated it by John 12. He illustrates it by the corn being planted. John 12, verse 23 says this, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And he was that corn seed. But you'll notice how he says how it should die alone. The Savior was the corn of wheat. He would tread Gethsemane alone. He would alone be in Pilate's judgment hall for all the disciples. They fled, they forsook him and fled. But the greatest loneliness was when on the cross, the Father turned his face away from his Son. Darkness veiled Calvary, and the Savior was to her to be crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had become sin so as the sins of all his redeemed was imputed to him, led to his account, and he paid the punishment for them in his own body so that they would never have to. And men and women, therein is the plan of God's salvation. Do you know anything about it? Thank God many of you are saved. What about you who are still unsaved, Unconverted? And you have only a head knowledge of the cross and of what Christ has wrought. But there he suffered and bled and died alone. The hymn writer, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. He died alone. He bore our sins on his own body alone on the tree. Let me show you, just in closing here, the chosen. Because this suggestion is not just something of a pipe dream, which could never be realized. For notice how Jethro speaks of it in verse 21. He says, Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. He believed that God already provided men. The Lord has given to His church those who have different gifts and different talents and abilities. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. The Lord has sent some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. You read that in 1 Corinthians 12. And the sovereign God knows what we're able to do and He also knows what we're not able to do. And when it comes to the election of committee for the congregation, for the church, if we believe that God is sovereign, is in control of all things, then you know, in one sense, it doesn't matter what names are on the list. Only they whom God has set apart for these tasks will be chosen. And it, it speaks of the maturity spiritually of the communicant membership, that they will vote for those whom they have in the mind, in their own mind. They've got the mind of God, they've got the heart of God. They're not voting because of family ties or anything else. But it's how the Lord has led. For be assured as Moses was that God had provided men for His church that are needed at this time. And what an untold blessing it is to be able to do a work for God should He choose you to do it. You'll see the chosen servants at Moses would be proved men. These men that were needed for the help of Moses, they would be proved men. Verse 21, I shall provide out of all the people able men. They'd not be strangers. Men from among them and whom the people already knew. If you look again at, at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 13, you'll notice uh, the same truth is brought out. Where it says, take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. The same truth is brought out again there. And the corresponding truth is found also in the New Testament. We've already noted it in Acts chapter 6. Maybe you should consider Acts chapter 1. You see, in the midst of the disciples, the apostles, there was a space. There was a vacancy. Judas Judas went to his own place. Took his own life. There was space. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22, Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. This place, space had to be filled. God had men already there. You don't read much about those men, but they're already among them. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. Verse 26, And he gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with eleven apostles. The man who was to be chosen was one who walked with them. There was sufficient time, in other words, for him to prove himself, to be up for the task. You'll note also that Jethro speaks of them being particular men in the words of verse 21. And the words detail a sort of character that is required. Men that are suited for the office. And I put it to you, we've already considered this even last time in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as in Acts 6. But here it is in the Old Testament time. and top of the list is a God-fearing man. Men who have the irreverence and that awe of Almighty God, who know who He is, and more than just a mere head knowledge. They have that saving relationship with the Lord. What the Holy Ghost said of Job was this, that he feared God and eschewed evil. Then they are to be men of truth. Sense is not only that they're honest and men of integrity, but they know the truth. They believe the truth. They love the truth. They are men of the truth. The truth is God's Word. Men who love the Scriptures and are found in them, seeking by God's grace to put them into practice in their lives. What else? Men who hate covetousness. They don't love the things of the world or make idols out of them. And Moses, when he rehearses this occasion in Deuteronomy 1, he also speaks of wise men and understanding. They have understanding in the things of God. God has given them wisdom to rule well. And when we look at these particulars, you know the chosen men, And maybe even they're saying this while I'm preaching, not only this morning, but the last couple of Sunday mornings. They'll be saying this, who is sufficient for these things? They'll feel their unworthiness. They'll feel their inability to hold such a position and to do such a task. And listen, join the club! Because that's where I stand. Who is sufficient for these things? I'm not sufficient to be uh, ministering before you in this pulpit. But our sufficiency is of the Lord. That's the difference. And those are the men whom God has set apart. As he did with Moses, who when God called him to lead the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt at the burning bush, he was to make excuse after excuse, and he was to say, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech. And you remember Jeremiah? He said, I am but a child. They knew their unworthiness. They knew their weakness. And so does the eligible brethren. But it is that humble, contrite spirit that God uses. And God blesses. And God is choosing a people for this work. There's one final thought. While God is choosing men to serve him in the local congregation, you know, he's still choosing sinners to save. He's still calling sinners to submit unto Christ. wonder, would you be that young man this morning, that young lady, older man or older woman? And I say, preacher, I need to get saved. I need to have my heart right with God. need to have my sins dealt with and pardoned. And you brought me to the cross already this morning for the one who paid it all. That's the one I need. You can come this morning as God is calling, even in the gospel. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts and our souls for His own namesake.